I've had dogs. You have? Doggy Chow. Oh, I used to love Doggy Chow. <laughs> I used to love Doggy Chow too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Girl Blogger, the podcast. I'm Brett Collins. Obviously, do I even even need to introduce myself? Who really gives a fuck? You know. Okay. This might be the most significant episode I ever do of this podcast that not too many people listen to, but this is very important. This might be the most important film that I ever, that could ever exist in my lifespan. This is definitely, I'm trying to think of a comparison of like what could be more monumental in my mind. Honestly, since Spice World. Yes, that's probably the only comparable thing. Since Spice World, this is the most significant film to ever be released. Obviously, I'm talking about Barbie. Everyone's talking about it. I kind of, I love how important it is to everyone, because even though Barbie's a huge, uh, you know, toy that pretty much every little girl or gay boy owns at one point, you would think that this film, like, wouldn't really have the significance. Like, kind of thinking of, like, do you remember that there was a Bratz movie for Bratz dolls, like, in 2008 or something? And, like, no one gave a fuck about that. That was, like, a kid's movie, basically. And I just love that this Barbie film has had, like, a full, you know, worldwide impact and, like, everyone's really recognizing how important it is. God, there's just so much to cover about it. But okay, first and foremost, the movie was incredible. I saw it last Friday, the day it came out. Luckily, I actually wasn't in LA on, you know, the premiere weekend. So because everything in LA, like all of the movie theaters were literally sold out. I've heard from multiple people that any evening show was fully sold out weeks in advance, which also just is such a good feeling. Just everyone is just so on the same page of the significance of this event that is the Barbie movie. And yeah, so I saw it uh, when I was in Chicago visiting family um, opening day, and it was just amazing. Like, it did, it was, I've never, I was looking forward to this film for years because it technically was announced like almost o- over a decade ago, which I mean, I'll get into all that, but we've really known that it's been happening since about like 2016, 2017. So it's been years waiting for this to actually come to fruition. And I was so excited for it. I was so excited while watching it in the theaters. And I was so satisfied and pleased with how good it was. Like it just did not disappoint. It delivered in every way. All right, let's just break down some of the facts. Um, As of the last time I checked, which was like yesterday, it has a 90% audience score and an 87% uh, or no, 90% critic score. Wow. 90% critic score, 87% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And it has like over 200 critic reviews and over, I think over like 2000 audience reviews at this point. So you know, people are in agreement that this film is quality. 
It was directed by Greta Gerwig. There is about like a half a dozen other people that almost directed it, which I'll also talk about in a second. And it was written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, who are actually married, which I somehow didn't realize until, you know, doing some fact checking on this. But yeah, they're married, hence why they're always collaborating. And I was a little, I wouldn't say I was concerned, but I was like, you know, raising an eyebrow when they were, you know, uh, when it was public information that they were the writers and directors, because all of their movies are like extremely like kind of like indie, you know, it's like the squid and the whale, Francis Ha, just like that type of film. And this is obviously such not only is it such a mainstream mainstream film but like so campy and just really not in comparison to anything else that they've done so it was just a little interesting to hear that they were writing and directing it but I mean they did a fucking great job so you know hats off to them and okay so here the production started originated in 2009 when Universal was the uh, studio at that time that had the rights to create the film with Mattel, but then it switched to Sony in 2014, and it was supposed to have Jenny Bix writing it, who wrote a lot of episodes on, Jenny Bix wrote a lot of episodes on Sex and the City, so I recognized her from that, but then she was dropped as the writer, and then in 2015, it switched to Diablo Cody being the writer. She uh, wrote Juno and my beloved Jennifer's body, so always trust her as a writer. That could have been a very interesting script. I wonder where that could have gone. Also, Diablo Cody was the writer and I think a creator on that like failed Powerpuff Girls um, reboot show that was supposed to happen. That was another thing that I was very excited for, but as we all, I mean, if you saw, there were some heinous paparazzi photos that got released that looked like they were wearing like party city costumes. It's just, I, I got a really gut punch bad feeling that that reboot was not going to be the most and it actually got scrapped and it just never happened. But if they if they ever do do some sort of Powerpuff Girls reboot, that's just something that I don't know if you can truly capture the original. So yeah, I don't know, whatever, side tangent. Yeah, so Diablo Cody was at one point supposed to write, uh, Barbie, but that did not happen. And then 2016 is where things got a little twisted and strange. And I feel like a lot of people would have been upset about this. I mean, I certainly would have. 2016 is when it switched again to Amy Schumer writing, but to also star in film. Yikes. Amy Schumer is Barbie. Like, who would be, who would, who would like that? You know what I mean? Who would ask for that or want that? That that doesn't make any logical sense. And it got me thinking, it's kind of like, maybe this is just me. I wonder if anyone else is on board with this, uh, uh, perception that I have. Like Amy Schumer to me is like Taylor Swift in a lot of ways where Taylor Swift, I'm sorry to all the Swifty stands out there, but like, of course I love Taylor Swift music, listen to it all the time. And of course I like a lot of Amy Schumer movies and, seen them multiple times as well but something about Taylor Swift and Amy Schumer I feel like they share the same kind of annoyance where you like don't really like them as people and you don't have very good reasons they just seem kind of insufferable in for some reason 
However, you like all of their artistic endeavors. So it's kind of like a con inner conflict I have there. Like, don't really like Amy Schumer, don't really like Taylor Swift, yet I'm consuming everything that they create. So I don't know. Is anyone with me on that? But just something I've come to realize. And anyway, when Amy Schumer was writing, it was going to be like a lot more like ironic comedy, obviously. And I guess the concept was she was going to be a Barbie that was kicked out of Barbie land for like being too sloppy. So I don't know, maybe that could have been funny, but I, I'm certainly glad that it did not happen that way. So Amy Schumer left the project and about a year later and in 2017, there had like a different team of writers and directors and Anne Hathaway was going to play Barbie. And back then that probably would have really upset me because I feel like 2017 I was still at a, in a, with a weird in a weird place with Anne Hathaway and just like not really thinking she's very sexy and but I don't know Anne Hathaway of recent times has really turned it around and is just like this like chic fashion girl now and is like really pulling out all the looks so it's like maybe she could have played Barbie but whatever we'll never know and so it doesn't really matter and then after she left the project and they switched it up again, it's uh, Warner Brothers in 2018 took over the rights. And I think Warner Brothers has worked with Margot Robbie a lot. And Margot Robbie actually has her own production company called Lucky Chap. So it was Warner Brothers and Margot Robbie's production company, Lucky Chap. And... Margot Robbie was always a producer on it, and she actually says she wasn't originally planning to star in it, which I find kind of hilarious, because, like, duh, why wouldn't she? But she got to pick at who she wanted for directors and writers, and she went with Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, and Greta Gerwig was like, no, obviously you have to play Barbie Margot. And Margot was just like, oh, okay, like, fine. I mean, there's got to be something kind of performative about that, like, you are Barbie, Margot. So, I mean, everything worked out for the best. Of course, Margot Robbie was starring. And yeah, so that's just the saga of the different uh, people that were originally in production with the Barbie film and how many times it fucking got switched up. But yeah, I, it really just landed in the right place, obviously, because everything worked out and ugh, just swimmingly beautiful. So yes, that's who obviously produced, directed, wrote, and starring in the film. Now, just to back it up a, li a little bit to my relationship with Barbie, obviously I was obsessed with Barbie as a child. I mean, any man that is gay that didn't play with Barbies in s to some degree as a child, like, how gay are you really, though? You know? Like, I don't know. There's something a little anticlimactic about a boy that had no feminine traits as a child and then grows up to be gay like I don't know it's just kind of baffling I feel like it's just kind of it's just God's way of letting people know early on like this is a gay boy here are the Barbies so yeah I loved them my dad bought all of them for me and what's weird is that like I know that I loved them so much but I can't really pinpoint which are my favorite or like specific memories of them or how many I had. I know I had multiple, but, like, did I have, like, ten or, like, five? I mean, maybe some of them, like, got lost or whatever, but I used to always love to torture my Barbies, which is kind of disturbing, but I would, like, tie them up and, like, hang them from things and, like, 
twist them around and just do all this weird shit. Like, I was really into the idea of, like, my Barbie being, like, a damsel in distress, and she would be, like, tied up and, like, <clears throat> like, you know in cartoons when, like, Jessica Rabbit or someone is, like, tied up on the train tracks and the train is coming and, like, someone has to save her. Like, that. I was really into that concept for whatever reason. Like, I don't know what that says about me, but that was what I liked. And, I mean, if I were my parent witnessing that, I would have been pretty disturbed. But my dad just, like, thought it was funny. And he used to call me Sid, like, from Toy Story, the, like, neighbor kid that's, like, scary looking and, like, blows up toys and that's what my dad used to call me because I would torture all my Barbies but uh yeah and they usually ended up decapitated like I'd pull off the head or something and then you can put the head back on but my stepmom was recently saying she's like yeah you would pull off the head and like you could try and put them back on but like it was never the same like your Barbie kind of looked fucked after doing that but yeah that was just my shtick I just love to tie up my Barbies and torture them and then you would like cut off all the hair and that would just ruin the Barbie and you would do that again like expecting different results but the same thing would happen like I don't know yeah just learning as a kid trial and error realizing that your Barbie you're never going to be able to give your Barbie a new haircut and then oh the other thing was I remember I hated Barbies with bent arms you know how some came with like the arms slightly bent for whatever reason, I only liked the straight-armed Barbies. I would not stand for a bent-armed Barbie, and I was very adamant about that. My dad thought that was really funny, too, and would make jokes about it years and years after. But, yeah, fuck a bent-armed Barbie for some reason. That really pissed me off. Did not want it. Oh, oh, and then another funny story is I remember my cousin had a Barbie dream house, and one time I was, like, staying with my aunt and uncle and cousins for whatever reason. And I pissed my pants and I didn't want to wear wet underwear. Like, I, I don't think I like fully pissed my pants just like a little bit, but I didn't want to wear my underwear. So I took them off and I hid them in my cousin's Barbie dream house in like the little elevator thing. And I don't know why exactly, but they found the underwear, yikes, like days or weeks later and they thought it was my brother's. So they were like giving my brother a bunch of shit for years and years, being like, oh, Brian put his underwear in the Barbie dream house. And it was me. I don't know if it ever got revealed that it was me, but oh, here we are telling you now it was me. So that was just like a funny thing that always stood out to me regarding Barbie. Oh, yeah. So that's a little bit of my history with Barbie. Miss it. But um, back to the movie. I'm not going to try and spoil too much because, I mean, if you're listening to this, I hope you already saw the film. But also, if you haven't, like, I'm just not going to spoil everything. I'll just get like into the highlights and some of the main points of the plot. But um, go see Barbie if you haven't seen it. Like this is, I, again, like I can't really articulate or like express how monumental this film is in terms of like making a film about an existing piece of IP like I just don't know if there's ever gonna be anything as epic as this so you have to see it in theaters so not to spoil too much but that trailer that came out where it's like uh based off of um Stanley Kubrick's like Space Odyssey with like uh it's like the monkey thing but it's like the girls playing with dolls and then you see reveal uh Margot in like that very old vintage Barbie and like the black and white striped 
bathing suit and the bangs and the sunglasses. That trailer is how the film starts, and it's amazing. And gets into, so there's Barbies everywhere. They're all named Barbie. All the Kens are named Ken. And Margot is like the stereotypical Barbie, which I love how they acknowledge that because that is just what you think of when you think of Barbie, just like the blonde classic Barbie, which is Margot Robbie. And so she's living in Barbie land and an amazing touch that is a big plot point in the film is that kind of Barbies are under like the the false understanding that like they are responsible for all feminism and the progression of like the feminist movement and just they're they're the ones who uh you know are to thank for all female um progression in the world but obviously they learn later in the film that that's not totally true i just thought that was a really funny um you know concept to run with and um Oh, just a side note, I love how over-the-top campy everyone is acting in the film the entire time. No one is really taking themselves too seriously, or, like, you can tell it's intentional bad acting in a sense. Not even that I would call it bad acting, but, like, they're not acting like they're just naturally living in the real world. Like, it is an over-the-top kind of theatrical uh, style of all their line line deliveries and everything going on. It kind of reminds me a bit of... um, the tone of the acting style in the film is kind of like the Brady Bunch movies or the Adams Family movies that came out in uh, the early 90s, like the one where uh, Christine Taylor is playing uh, Marsha or Christina Ricci is Wednesday Adams, those films. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a similar like humor tone in those. Uh, it's just so, re- really so good. And so Barbie, they're just kind of living their lives, being fabulous in Barbie land. And then, uh, anyway, pretty soon on, some shit goes wrong, where Barbie starts having dark, intrusive thoughts about death, which if you've seen one of the trailers, that's included in that as well. Love that. And then she wakes up in the morning, has bad breath, gets in the shower, and there's a cold shower, or she reacts like it's a cold or hot shower, even though there's no water in Barbie Land, which I thought was another really funny touch. Um, and then it's she, like, floats down from her uh, house every morning instead of taking the stairs, because I don't even think there were stairs in Barbie Dream Houses. They just had, like, the elevator sometimes. But yeah, so she's trying to float down, but instead she falls onto the ground. And then, most dramatically her feet, because every Barbie is on their tiptoes, because that's the shape of the Barbie foot, which I'm glad that they kept that, because weirdly, a lot of people were asking me, they're like, do they walk around like Barbies with, like, stiff arms, like, robotic? And I'm like, no, they don't fucking do that. That would be stupid. But they did have their feet like that, where all the Barbies' feet are propped up on their um, toes, because that's just the shape of the Barbie foot. So I do love that they included that. And that shot of Margot walking in the heels and then taking them off and her foot staying in that position is just maybe one of the best shots in cinematic history. But back to what happened is her feet go from on her tiptoes and her heels fall flat to the ground and her feet is foot is flat on the ground and that's how she knows shit is really getting weird and going wrong. And basically after that, um, 
she's going on this dark spiral and everyone's like okay you have to go talk to weird barbie weird barbie played by kate mckinnon who is so fucking funny who uh she's just really a highlight of the film and i love how they just call her weird barbie and it's referring to when you quote unquote played too hard with your barbie which i obviously did just mention that that yeah that's definitely what i did played too hard with my Barbies and it cuts away to a scene of like just a girl like ripping out her Barbie's hair and like coloring all over the face with permanent marker and like pulling it into the splits and like throwing it in a basket that was definitely me as a child and also when they do the cutaway they're like playing spice up your life yeah there really is I swear there's a correlation between like millennials growing up and like playing with your barbies while listening to the spice girls they really just went hand in hand maybe that's just me but i swear that was a thing and uh so she goes to see kate mckinnon Margot does and she's like why is all this shit happening to me and weird barbie's like oh uh, you have to go into the real world and see who's playing with you which i guess like all of the Barbies in Barbie land are somehow connected to the real world and like the whoever, whatever child is playing with them. Anyway, it's funny. It kind of reminds me of like the little mermaid in a little bit. It's like Kate McKinnon is like the sea witch that people have to go to when they're desperate for answers. So then Barbie goes to the real world. Um, and Ken, who's like, an eager, like fuck boy that's obsessed with her. Also just an amazing runner throughout the whole film big part of the movie is about how no one cares about Ken. Like, no one gives a fuck about Ken. Like, any girl that was playing with Barbies, like, you have, like, 20 Barbies, or any person that was playing with Barbies, because obviously I was, you have, like, all of your Barbies, all, like, the Barbie accessories, everything, and it's, like, maybe you have a Ken just because, like, you felt, like, out of necessity. Like, oh, maybe in case, like, I need to role play like house or some bullshit. I don't know what kids do. And it's like, you need that male figure there for some reason. You can like have Ken on the sidelines or in like the toy box in case you need to like dig him out for whatever reason. But no one is like loving a Ken doll or no one like thinks about Ken or needs Ken. He's truly just an accessory. And that's a big concept of the film, which I thought is genius because it's so true. Like, they really captured uh, the mentality of a kid playing with toys and, like, how secondary Ken was to Barbie. Uh, and so anyway, so yeah, Margot's going to the real world. Ken is, like, obsessed with her and desperate, so he, like, hides in her car to come with her. She's like, fine, you can come with me. And then, of course, once they get to the real world, they realize that, um, yeah, things are a lot different and... Uh, Ken, like men, and it's just because in Barbie land, Barbies rule everything, and women are the top, and then they get to the real world, and it's pretty much opposite, and I mean, there are so many jokes about them recognizing that, Margot recognizing that, and then Ken, like, being obsessed with the real world because he, like, discovers patriarchy, and just thinks, like, oh my god, like, this is how, this is how the world should be, and I mean, yeah, just... I mean, it is a feminist film, like, let's not forget, like, and I mean that in a good way, like, they make this film as, uh, like, the message of it is so clear, but they do it in the least annoying way possible, because we know, like, especially, like, now, after the woke movement, after the Me Too movement, everything, 
there are so many, uh, you know, people that really just their intentions are good and what they're after are good, but it's just so annoying sometimes. So right. once Ken is in the real world, Ryan Gosling, obviously he's loving it. He's loving the patriarchy. He's loving the dynamic that men have over women. And he decides that he's going to basically capture that, takes a bunch of books with him or something, and brings it back to Barbie land. So he's actually only in the real world for a pretty short amount of time, I'm just realizing. And then while Barbie's still there, she, like, meets with Mattel. They're, like, freaking out. That's the other funny thing is, like, people, like I had mentioned how everyone's acting, like, very campy and over the top. Like, they still act like that when they're in the real world. Like, everyone is having the same type of like acting style like so she goes to mattel all the employees working there it's kind of almost like a cia vibe like everyone working in mattel is aware of barbie land and kind of this like hidden secret world that like barbies are almost real in a different dimension or something sounds a little sci-fi and weird but it actually like works amazing in the film and i'm so glad that they did that and so Margot goes to the mattel headquarters and, like, Will Farrell plays the CEO of Mattel. And, like, there's just a lot of things happening that, like, I don't want to recap everything, but it's just really good and uh, hilarious. But then, basically, she escapes because she realizes they're, realizes they're kind of, like, after her. They try to put her in a Barbie box with, like, those twist ties. That was kind of, like, a memory unlocked. Like, do you remember, like, how feverishly, or at least I was, like, when you get a Barbie and you have to like open the back and you have to like rip off those and untwist those fucking twist ties to get your Barbie. Like that was such a thing. But yeah, so they do that. And then she's like, wait, no, like something's off. So she like escapes from them. And then she actually, okay, yeah, I'm getting it too much into it, but a lot of stuff happens. She ends up going back to Barbie land and it's just funny because Ken has taken what he's seen and experienced in the real world with the patriarchy and the men having you know, the upper hand over women and brings that into Barbie land. And then the, from then on in the film is kind of like reckoning that and fixing it and, you know, kind of not only changing things back to, back to the way they were, but like changing things for the better and ultimately like satisfying everyone. And it does have like a very, very good ending with that part of the film, not the very end of the film, which I'll also get to. Um, but, uh, oh, and then there's also, uh, fucking Rhea Perlman, who I'm sure we'll all recognize from Matilda, who is Danny DeVito's wife in real life and actually plays, uh, his wife in Matilda. I, you chose books, I chose looks, one of the most iconic lines ever. But yeah, I haven't seen her act in so long, so it was so good to see her have a role in this film, but she plays the creator of Barbie, who then, like, probably the most like emotional scene in the film and towards the end when Barbie's like talking to her about life and like there's a lot of existential concepts deep deep concepts in this film about you know life and happiness and finding yourself and being true to yourself and like what do we want and whatever so like through all the humor there is like a lot of uh good meaning to all of this and uh that's kind of Rhea Perlman's role in the film is kind of really bringing those concepts to light and that's what uh, they focus on towards the end scene that Margot has with her like the more emotional scene and then uh, yeah everything is kind of 
made right. And then the final, final scene of this film is just so genius. I couldn't think of a better ending. Like, and I won't say it now because, like, if there is anyone listening that hasn't seen it, you really just need to experience. But they really just knocked it out of the park. Like, so basically it's, like, Barbie, like, decides what she wants and she wants to be a real woman and it's just yeah there's a, just an ending line and then it smash cuts to that Nicki Minaj uh updated like Barbie song with like Aqua's Barbie playing and uh that's like what the ending credits roll with and it's just oh, just so good so satisfying I was very deeply deeply satisfied with this and, uh, yeah, it's just, oh, another really funny thing. Anyone that's already seen it, they have this other cutaway scene where they do, like, a Barbie commercial, but it's for, like, a clinically depressed Barbie, and they just say a bunch of funny shit that I don't remember specifically. I honestly, I need to see the film again in theaters. But, um, yeah, that was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. It was just really capturing how our culture's current obsession with mental health especially with millennials I feel like we're always just going on about how depressed and anxious we are the whole time which I mean the entire movie really uh hones in on that and like really has a fun time you know making fun of that but also like uh talking about that concept and I don't know it just it really it really was satisfying and um just a lot of other little things that I'm just remembering now like Kate McKinnon's legs are like always split when she's the weird Barbie when she's just like any scene that she's in she's just kind of always in the splits which I feel like is such a thing like I was always just like ripping those legs apart and then obviously like a bunch of kids we always made our Barbie scissor like that was kind of a thing like I don't think they could have gone that graphic and I feel like that was a subtle nod to that just her being in the splits is like everyone was just like rubbing their Barbie's crotches together like we all did that I'm sure, again, if I was a parent watching me do that, it'd be very disturbing. Just, like, what kids did. And it's weird how we instinctively, like, knew how to do that, which is, like, kind of fucked up and gross, but, like, it's the truth. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just, yeah, I'm going through my notes and seeing just a lot of other things. Like, America Ferreira is in it. She plays, like, the real girl. They didn't really show her much in the trailers because I think they kind of didn't want to keep that whole storyline uh, they wanted to keep it more, you know, not secret, or I guess secret, but yeah, like, you didn't really see any of that until you watched the film. She has this really amazing monologue that's just about basically the struggles of women and all the conflicting things that they're pushed to do, you know, essentially trying to be perfect, but then they're kind of set up to fail, and it's just really hard to balance everything people want from you while doing what you want as a woman and it's really wrapped up very nicely in her little speech which I really loved and uh yeah that's that's Barbie I mean it was just so fucking incredible like the direction they went with the story and it's really occurring to me now that like the movie's rated PG-13 but, like, it is very mature. Like, I feel like it was very much for, like, Gen X and Millennials. Like, this is not a kid's movie. Not only because the tone of it isn't really a kid's movie, but they just wouldn't get a lot of these things. Like, I'm sure they would still enjoy the film because it's, like, beautiful and colorful and, like, silly, but a lot of these things are 
only things adults can really identify with and relate to. Kids really aren't going through existential crises and being anxious and depressed and, you know, being pissed at the world for not giving, you know what I mean? Like this is, it's, yeah, kids haven't experienced these emotions yet that Barbie's going through, but you know, I'm sure in a few years they'll get it and they'll really, then they'll identify. But yeah, this is definitely not a kid's movie, but I'm so glad the, well, the reason I'm thinking of that now is like, it's kind of interesting to me that Mattel was fully on board for that. Like, and I love that, though, that they're like, oh, even though we're doing a Barbie movie, which you would immediately think like, oh, that's going to be a children's movie. No, like it couldn't be anything further from that. Um, what else? I mean, the sets. Yeah. Thinking of that now, like they're just so amazing. And I love the minimal usage of CGI because I feel like nowadays everything looks like it's just created by AI or CGI. And it's just like of course we've like gotten so far with that technology that but it's something there's just something less magical about a CGI set and like when it's all real it just makes it so much cooler and like you can tell there's just like the subtle difference that makes it so much more beautiful and especially if being an actor on the set like it's so much easier and I would imagine so much more fun and such a cooler experience to do that in a real set versus on a fucking green screen and just have to like imagine everything is around you. Like that was kind of the disenchanting thing that I recognize watching the behind the scenes of the Little Mermaid stuff. Like everything was a green screen. They were reacting to different characters. They had to react to like a tennis ball or like a puppet on a stick, you know, and that's just like not very exciting and you don't really get to see the beauty in the film until after it's done. Whereas in the Barbie movie, I'm sure they really literally felt like they were in Barbie land and it just made it not only easier to act, but just such a better experience. So it was just amazing. And if you really want details on the sets, you should watch um, the Open Door AD. So Architectural Digest does all these. They usually do it on like celebrity homes, but this one is all of Margot Robbie giving you a tour of the Barbie dream house. It's truly life changing. It's just so nice. Um, there is obviously the pool that goes down from Barbie's bedroom to, uh, or no, the slide that goes down from Barbie's bedroom to the pool. That was one of Margot Robbie's only requests, apparently. In regards to that set, she's like, I need to have a slide from the bedroom to the pool. And they're like, duh. And I mean, it was an amazing touch. It's just so crazy how custom made, like I, one thing that stood out to me that was so random, and it's actually in the movie too, you see there's like, a little like heart-shaped waffle that's like plastic and all the things just look like and there's I feel like there's a distinction between looking just like a real cup that you'd get from wherever like who knows Pottery Barn or CB2 or something but everything looks like an enlarged toy and like I don't really know like why that is if it's like the finish of it or just like the coloring or the material but like everything looks like a blown up Barbie toy to human scale. And it's just like so fascinating how well they did at that. And uh, yeah, God, everything. And there's like these little monkeys that are like these pink plastic monkeys that are kind of like scattered throughout the house that Margot points out in the video that I thought that was really cute too. But yeah, definitely like the sets 
I haven't, I can't, no film comes to mind that's like kind of like fantastical in the way the Barbie movie is, where it's like, clearly they, they could have gone the CGI route, but they didn't. And I, I mean, no movie stands out to me in terms of like, yeah, like fantasy or anything dreamlike that has used real sets in the past 10 years. Like no one is doing that anymore. So it was just, yeah, that was extremely satisfying to see and if they have some sort of Barbie experience where you can go and I mean I would pay like they really need to have like a full Barbie like world like how they just made like the Harry Potter land at Universal or whatever they create at Disney like I think they have like Star World Star Wars world at Disneyland now like where is the Barbie version of that? Because I truly think people would be lining up. Like, clearly everyone's been lining up for this film. It's made over $400 million at this point in the box office. I think it made over, like, $160 million opening weekend. But, yeah, we, I, I want, and I think everyone wants, like, a full Barbie experience, whether it's, like, a theme park or, like, some sort of, like, uh, pop-up where you can, like, visit and, like, be in the sets or if it's like an airbnb something like that like we really do need that i think they do have something like that in malibu so maybe like that already does exist but i want it bigger scale i want a whole barbie world yeah that would be really good so yeah sets were incredible the music the soundtrack was also so amazing too there's like this runner throughout the movie where I guess I didn't realize while seeing the movie but I know now that Lizzo sings this song throughout the Barbie movie and the lyrics change so you have to kind of like pay attention to the lyrics because it's like slightly narrating what's going on and it's kind of like gets darker and darker and funnier and funnier the more like Barbie falls apart and that was just like a really amazing touch and it's a good song too there's this Charlie XCX song called Speed Drive that plays while she's like escaping from Mattel that's a total banger I've been listening to it all the time now and uh then oh there's this funny thing when um uh, Ken comes back to Barbie land and you know instills the patriarchy and places men over women and uh they decide so like Barbie's on the radio and it switches from Barbie's favorite song to Ken's favorite song and it's this song Push by Matchbox 20, which, like, I didn't know the name of the song, but, like, everyone's heard this fucking song. And it's just, like, so painfully hetero. Like, they could not have picked a better, like, straight man favorite song to be Ken's favorite song, which is hilarious. I feel like another good contender could have been Slide by the Goo Goo Dolls, which I always thought was about, um, like, when you have a one-night stand and you're, like sneaking out like you slide out I thought that that's what the lyrics of the song were about but then I looked it up and apparently it's about a couple contemplating an abortion so maybe it's best they didn't go with that song but it's just that to me is another like painfully straight guy song like I mean they're good they're good songs yes but like it's just you know what I mean it's just like that that guy and that's his favorite song but um yeah, what else? I mean, there's a lot of other good music, too. I just can't think of anything else that stood out to me right now. But um, also not a song, but Helen Mirren is the narrator. Could not have thought of a better narrator to have for this film. Just really the cherry on top. Apparently, I read 
she was gonna drop an f-bomb like right at the beginning of the movie so they were really gonna like you know set the tone and let you know what you were in for right off the bat i think she was talking about like uh maybe um all the accomplishments of women or something and there was going to be a line where helen mirren says pipe the fuck down marie curie and her like I mean, I didn't do a very good British accent there, but it would be amazing in her voice. And I'm not sure why it got cut, because that was going to be the only F-bomb in the film. And anyone who knows about ratings, you can use one F-bomb in a PG-13 movie, not in reference to, not in a sexual context. But uh, yeah, they cut that line, which... I don't know, because Greta Gerwig was like, oh, it was my favorite line. So I don't know. Maybe it was a note from someone else that they were like, yeah, you got to get rid of that. But would have been really funny. But we love. Okay, now the sets were amazing. Music was amazing. Now the fashion. Obviously, fashion was amazing. It was so perfect. It's almost just overwhelming to try and get into everything like it was all just so fucking good and obviously this is a podcast really not the best medium to be discussing visual things especially fashion but I'm going to a little bit because it's just so important to the film I mean there's so many looks in the movie that were great honestly like a part of me was worried that she was going to be wearing that cowboy outfit that you saw in a lot of the paparazzi photos for like the whole back end of the film but no she doesn't that's just that's really just the only outfit she wears in the real world aside from the uh roller skating outfit but um uh yeah god there were just so many fucking good ones i think one of my favorites that stood out is towards the end she wears this like pink mini dress that like looks like chanel and then there's like a chanel purse and this like amazing chanel charm necklace that she wears with it too that was just beautiful like yeah I really liked how they they do have some designer pieces in there clearly because you can like see the symbols but it was obviously a lot of references to real Barbie outfits which I think is amazing but I'm also glad that they didn't only do that that they kind of like elevated things and updated things and included designer wardrobes too because obviously we want to see that too it was just yeah those those looks were amazing and kind of all goes hand in hand with like the marketing of the movie too like it's almost like a blurred line between like the outfit she wore in the movie versus like the outfit she wore promoting the film and just on the red carpet and everything I mean the marketing for this movie is just so perfect like I don't yeah again like I don't know what other movie is going to be this epic in terms of not only the movie itself but the promotion of the film like I can't really think of anything that has been on this level in ever, literally in my entire life. Because did you know right now, if you Google just the word Barbie, everyone do this right now, actually. I don't know if it works on your phone, but it probably does. And it certainly works on a computer. If you just Google the word, the word Barbie, your entire screen turns pink And there's like pink little sparkles that go across your screen and then like it sets in and everything is a different tone of pink when you Google Barbie. And it's just like, it's just fascinating to me that like this film and Barbie is important enough that Google felt the need to do that. Like, I don't know when they have ever done that other than this in any sort of sense. Like, it's just amazing. Like, wow, Barbie is everything. But okay, Uh, back to, yeah, her, the looks, I mean, anyone that works in fashion knows that, like, of course, this is 
huge and like we love it and it was probably fun to some degree working on Margot Robbie's looks for the promotion of the film but it was also probably such a nightmare like I can't imagine just the process of curating like which looks to wear because at the end of the day you can only have so many looks for each event you know she can't wear everything like we would probably want her to so like just picking like oh this is the best option for this or this is the best option for this or like we have to not wear all these other things because this is better would just be so hard like I can only imagine the number count of how many different looks they had and had to whittle down to pick just the ones they went with like gotta be hundreds of different things like I can't it just sounds so overwhelming but um yeah so uh Margot Robbie used to be with Kate Young her Kate Young used to be her stylist for a long time, but now her stylist is Andrew Muckamel, who I think maybe worked with Kate Young, but that's Margot's, uh, that's her main stylist now, and, uh, I'm realizing that if anyone watched a show called Kel on Earth, which was Kelly Catrone's reality show about her PR company, uh, People's Revolution, Andrew Muckamel was one of the people that worked at People's Revolution, so... Apparently, he's still going strong, and yeah, so he's the one that's responsible for all of her Barbie press looks, and I mean, he did amazing. There are just so many to cover, but I'll just say my top three favorites now. Um, I'd have to say, I mean, it's really hard to choose, but I think that there's a Vivian Westwood one that I was obsessed with that she wore to the London premiere of the film, and it's kind of like a pink... Oh, the other thing is that, like... A, Pretty much all, I don't know if all of them, no, they not all of them, but most of all of her looks are of reference to actual Barbies. Um, so yeah, this Vivian Westwood look that she wore to the London premiere, it's like a baby pink satin that drapes kind of like along the hips and there's like kind of like a flower motif made out of the silk and then there's, it looks almost like kind of like white feathers along the shoulders, but like a shrug, but it's not, it's just like a chiffon or organza or something that kind of like gives like this fluffy feathery look and uh, she's wearing it with a pearl choker which I thought was really amazing for both Barbie and the nod to Vivian Westwood but it's based on a Barbie called Enchanted Evening Barbie which sounds pretty glamorous and like a collectible Barbie or something but uh that was definitely a standout look and she wore like long opera gloves with it and like hair up it just looked pretty stunning and then I'm not sure where she wore this other one, but she wore the pink Versace chainmail mini dress that was in from, an, I think, a 1994 collection that Claudia Schiffer originally wore. That was just amazing. And I don't think that's a recreation. I think that that is like the archival piece that looked so good. And it was just, yeah, that was a great, great choice. Like definitely had to pull that out and then my favorite being what she wore to the American premiere of the movie it's like a Scaparelli made this custom dress that's based on uh, a Barbie called Solo and the Spotlight Barbie which it's really just amazing it's like a black column like fully like black rhinestoned dress strapless and then she wore black opera gloves with that I guess Barbie's a real fan of the opera gloves and then it kind of like has this like tutu jutting out at the hem which is amazing with like very old like golden age of Hollywood hair and like hair up it just yeah that was pretty iconic like that was an amazing choice to wear 
to the premiere, which was also kind of a bold choice because it was black and not pink and or just like any whatever like but yeah I'm definitely so satisfied that they went with that she looked amazing and then an another shout out random look that I loved she wore this like pretty simple but if you look at the bodice it's like a very detailed construction this mini dress uh to the London after party after she wore that Vivian Westwood look and it's just like it looks like a kind of simple mini dress, but yeah, then if you get close up, you can see all the detail of, uh, you know, the different structure of it. And this is by a designer that's hard to pronounce, but I think Delaria Findikogulu, probably just butchered that, never heard of it, but I think she's a new designer. And yeah, it was a very cute look, and I liked kind of the simplicity of it in contrast to all of her other looks that, some of them are simple, but you know, very like, over the top in one way or another and that to just kind of like dress it down a little bit but still be super hot was really good good to see god i mean oh, i just love it so much like i could just go on about it for days and days this film and like yeah i mean barbie fuck i just can't even express like i've been trying to but just how epic this film is and especially nowadays where like people don't even really go to the theaters like everything is just on streaming like no one really gives a fuck and they're like oh like the theaters are dying and they are actually and like the movie experience isn't what it used to be but I feel like Barbie has really brought it back and it's like wow people want to go to the movies people really care it's almost like this is like bringing me back to like how epic movie events were back in like the 90s because that's just like it's just all we had not all we had but it was like one of the main, main things we had where it's like oh what are you doing this weekend oh this movie's coming out you know whereas like that idea hasn't really been a thing for so long I'd say probably for the last like 10 years so to see this movie come out and just be so important to everyone and have such an impact and bring everyone back to the theaters is just oh, so heartwarming and beautiful and I just really love it so much I just really love Barbie yeah so there you have it it's made over 400 million at the box office going strong god bless all right that's it that's Barbie love you guys bye mm -hmm.